well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here today and to those of you who are connecting with us online, out in the plaza, uh, or in any of the video venues. It's great to have all of you with us. Again, if you're a guest, we would love to meet you, and, and there's a couple ways. One, if you want to let us know you're here, you can go to respond.church, and there's a just click click on the connect and let us know whatever information you're comfortable sharing so we could follow up with you. Or we'd love to meet you in person in the back at the guest services after the, after the service. And uh, we'd love to just kind of hear more about you and how we can come alongside you in your faith journey. And uh, so, yeah, gr- so glad to have you if you're here for first time or maybe your second or third time. Uh, and so we're glad to have you with us. Um, that question we asked was a good question, right? What's your favorite decade? Um, how many of you said the 2020s? <laughs> I mean, come on, 2020s, they're, they're after a great start, are they not? Um, if anyone uh, said that, then wow. Okay, so I was actually thinking about on, our, on my way uh, here today, I was thinking about just the, the one thought came to mind for me, and the thought was this, I'm kind of ready for the pandemic to be over. You know, anyone with me on that? I'm just kind of ready for it to be over. (laughs) And um, I'm ready to have like not every single news story have to have something to do with COVID or everything with school to not at least you have to consider COVID. Um, I'm, I'm just ready for all of that to be done. I'm ready, you know, I don't. And so... I hate to say I'd like to be back in 2019, but sometimes that sounds good, doesn't it? Except then we'd have to do 2020 again. So let's not do that. Let's just move forward. But, um, but yeah, I, but one thing I was thinking about it is this is, well, one, gone on much longer than maybe any of us thought. But it is, we're living through a time when we are all being shaped and transformed by what we're experiencing. Now, in what way? I don't know. Um, It's going to happen in many different ways, right? But I hope that we're learning resiliency. I hope that we will learn more about patience and trust, and I hope all kinds of things. Um, And as Christians, what's that doing to us? But we're in a long season of transformation. It's just, it's on our minds all the time of, of what we're experiencing. And I was even thinking back to probably anyone, and we have a few people at Seacoast who probably can even remember living back during the time of World War II. And they know like that, I bet that dominated your thoughts almost every single day. We have, we have at least one member who remembers the Great Depression. And that, yeah, I know, a while ago, huh? And, but I bet that was one where every single morning, the news, the whatever, the Twitter feed was always talking about, you know, <laughs> what was going on. And I think of how did that season transform and shape people? See, last week, uh, this series we're in, we're calling it Family Stories. And we're looking at the stories of our ancestors as Christians, the, the first Christians, how the church started, and, and the stories they told about their lives and how they are shaped and changed. And uh, last week, I actually... We talked about how all of us have a, a story, um, and, and one of the aspects of a good story is that there's a main character who's trying to accomplish something and has to overcome obstacles to get to that thing. We talked about that a little bit last week, but I left a piece out, because every good story not just has that, but in every good story, that character or characters go through a transformation in the process. They learn something in the journey, and you see them actually shaped throughout the story. 
And really for us, in a story of faith, and what we're going to look at today is we're going to see how that transformation is taking place in the story we read. But even in our lives, how are we being shaped and changed in our journey, in our story? And the question for us is this. If you look at your faith, and some of you, maybe you're still exploring faith. So if you're exploring faith, the question can still apply. Those of you who've been uh, a part of, uh, you've been a Christian for a long time, believing in Jesus, it applies. Here's a question. What part of your life do you wish would change as a result of your faith? What do you want to see transformed in your life as a result of your faith? If that's hard for you to answer, then just what part of your spouse's life would you like to see changed? Is it maybe easier to answer? <laughs> Don't answer that right now. <laughs> and, and I'm not just saying, talking about the things like change, oh, now I go to church, or now I pray before meals, or anything like that, but change the way you think and respond and the way you feel in different situations. What aspect of your life would you want to see God kind of shape and transform as you even interact with, during the pandemic, how is God affecting and changing you? What is it that you would love to see transformed? Because ultimately this, if our walk, our faith journey doesn't make a difference, then why bother? If it's just something we kind of do on the weekend, and it's something we kind of, a label we put on ourselves as a Christian, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't transform how we think and act and interact. Then what's the point? And today, as we look at this passage, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. When we get there, we're going to see that there is some new Christians who kind of came on the scene in this story. And these new Christians, they believed some of the, the right things about Jesus, but there were still parts of their life that there was some information lacking, and there's part of their spiritual life that was falling short as a result of what they were missing out on. And, and, and they were missing a part of truth that really became a game changer and even how they lived out their faith. Just that one little piece of information. I, when I look at this story, I was thinking of, uh, for me, I, when I go golfing, and I've golfed with, with some of you before, and um, which some of you are like, wait, you golf? Like, no, every once in a while. But I was golfing with these guys a few years ago, and they were all uh, what we call scratch golfers. They, they, um, when they play golf, they, you know, hit par, and um, that's usually how they do it, so they're great golfers. And, um, uh, and for me, I usually shoot in the 70s um, when I golf on the first nine holes. And um, <laughs> those of you who don't know anything about what I just said, it's funny. But, um, and true. But so um, we were teeing off once, and, and he said, hey, stop for a second. I want to sh- try something. I want you to try something. He, he had me just make one little change. He said, just try this. I made one little change to the swing. And it was the way my, my hands were. And he's like, just try this one thing. And I kid you not, the very next swing, I teed off. And it was the longest, straightest, most perfect drive I think anyone hit that whole day. And they looked at me and they're like, are you kidding? <laughs> and, and because I was doing a lot of the right things, but I wasn't doing all of the right things. Now, for those of you who have golfed with me, I forgot what I learned that day. And it doesn't work anymore. But it was fantastic for a moment. <laughs> But we're going to see this life of faith of some people who had, they knew, they believed 
the right things, but they didn't have the full picture that made all the difference in the world. So that's what we're going to look at today, and we're going to address two things. One, do we have a complete understanding of what life in Christ looks like? And then two, what is the posture that we need to have as followers of Jesus that actually leads to growth and change and transformation? So that's what we're going to look at, and I want to invite you before we jump into the text to pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you that life is uh, not about one moment but it's a long journey. And God, that you're at work in us, you're changing us, you're shaping us. I thank you that in this journey, there's a, we find grace for all of our shortcomings and failures and the things we don't believe, that we believe that are just not quite true, that there's just so much grace when we keep falling on who you are. And we thank you that you're approachable and that you uh, want the best for us, and the best is your life in us. And so, God, would you teach us what that looks like today? We thank you, and I give you this time. Amen. So I invite you to open your Bibles, book of Acts, chapter 18, and we are going to pick it up starting in verse 23, and just uh, where we are in our series, we're going through the book of Acts, and uh, this is a part of the story where uh, Paul now has recently, he just went to Jerusalem, and he's... uh, heading back on the road, heading to this region uh, that we're going to read about. And uh, we'll see a couple things happening in this story here. So verse 23, after spending some time there, this talking about Paul, he was uh, in Antioch most recently. He passed successively through the uh, Galatian region and through uh, Phrygia, uh, strengthening all the disciples. So what we see Paul doing is he's backtracking. He's going back to some of the places he had already been where people became Christians, and he's strengthening them. He's encouraging them. He's training them. And uh, now, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was proficient in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was accurately speaking and teaching things about Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began speaking boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ." So we're going to pull up there for a moment. Now, here's, here's where we're at in the story. Notice this. Uh, Paul's not in this little section, um, but we're introduced to a guy named Apollos. Apollos shows up. He's Alexandrian by birth, so he's from the, uh, the town of Alexandria, which was, it, it's in uh, northern Egypt. And at the time, it was a, uh, almost 100% a Greek culture uh, as far as in that city. And it was known for its philosophy. So if you were from Alexandria, you were probably well-versed in philosophy, and uh, you were well-educated. And uh, so that was kind of what you'd be known as, and and that was what they prided themselves in, in their knowledge. Now, there was a Jewish population there. And so Apollos apparently grew up and was Jewish. And uh, at some point in his life journey, he becomes a Christian. 
And we don't know when, and we don't know how. In fact, there's very little evidence of Christianity in the region of, or the city of Alexandria uh, at this time. It pops up later in the first century, and when we first start hearing about it, we hear about it as they're teaching a heresy, uh, a thing called Gnosticism that kind of says uh, Jesus was just fi- or spiritual, not physical. And, but, so that's all we know. So we don't know much, but we knew, do know he probably was very educated, um, strong in philosophy. He knew the scriptures well. It says that here. And notice this. Isn't this interesting? He accurately was speaking the teachings about, and, and teaching things about Jesus. He was saying things that were true. But he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So just put that one on kind of file save. We're going to come back to what, what is going on with that. Um, but here we see that he's teaching things accurately. But notice Priscilla and Aquila, we were introduced to them last week. This is a married couple who uh, we found last week was, was Paul actually writes and say, all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. They risk their lives for me. We know that they came from Rome and now they're Christians and, and they were very uh, prominent in the early church. So they're there in Ephesus and they hear Apollos teaching and he's teaching things that are true. But notice what they do. They take him aside and explain the way of God more accurately to him. See, he, what he was teaching is he was only acquainted with this baptism of John. Again, we'll look at the differences in a moment. But what he was saying was true, but it was incomplete. So they pull him aside and they train him. They give him more instruction. And over a, a period of time, we don't know how long it took. It doesn't, uh, when we read this, it feels like, oh, that was one afternoon. And then I, we don't know. But then after some time, Apollos wanted to go. We find he goes to Corinth, and they say, hey, he's well-versed now. He has, he's, has complete knowledge, and they send a letter of encouragement with him to the church in Corinth and say, yes, you got to listen to this guy. He, he, we vouch for him. His theology is accurate. He's uh, teaching truth, so now we're for him. Now, in this, I want to take a pause, and I want you to see this beginning, this whole end of this chapter gives us this new, kind of not new idea, but this idea that pops up is this picture of discipleship. And discipleship's a good churchy word, right? You, you, maybe if you've been around church, you hear that a lot. We want to make disciples. We are disciples. I don't know very many places outside of Christianity or the church where you say disciple. It just doesn't happen too often. A little bit you might hear it, but, you know, I don't, I don't go around it in, in, here at the Little League fields like, hey, these are my disciples, these, these kids here. And uh, they are because the word disciple means student. They're learning. But it's not really a word we use. We use it in the church often. But disciple means student in Greek. And so they're learning. It's people who are students of, in this case, Jesus. So this is a picture of discipleship, though. Discipleship is the process of growing and learning how to walk like Jesus, in this case. And notice there's two, two aspects of discipleship. Well, there's many, but two I want to focus on here. We see in the story. One, it's you have the mentors or the, the disciple makers. The disciple makers are the people, Aquila and Priscilla in this case, who take an interest in somebody and who are for them. So in this case, they saw Apollos, and notice what they did. They took him aside privately. They didn't just blurt out like, Apollos! You're kind of right, but not all the way right. 
They didn't go on his blog and make comments about where he was wrong or anything like that. What they did is they said, oh man, we believe in you. We see that God is working in your life. And we want to help you. We want to help you grow and give you a more complete understanding of what that looks like. So they pull him aside, the disciple makers. They took an interest in him, respectfully and thoughtfully trained him in the ways of the Lord. And I want to encourage you. There are many people in this room who do that really well. Um, but I want to encourage us all as Christians, we're all in the part of the process of making disciples. Now, there's somebody in your life who you maybe have a little bit more knowledge and you've grown more than they have. And you can encourage them. There is some, you're being discipled even if you're not a Christian yet as you learn the ways of the Lord, as you watch others. But what does it look like for you to be a disciple maker? Notice that, that they valued or, or they saw value in Apollos and cared for him and were respectful and thoughtfully built into his life. And again, some of you in this room do that really well. And others, you have a lot to offer that. I want to encourage you to not just keep all of your wisdom and knowledge and, and what you have learned in the Lord to yourself. Look for others to build into. So you have disciple makers. The next thing you have is obviously the disciple. In this case, it's Apollos. Now, I want you to notice something about Apollos. He was eloquent. He was powerful in his speech. He had all the gifts that you would want someone to have. He was like, he was that preacher that everyone listened to and said, this is amazing. Listen to his truth. If if any of us were Apollos, my guess is we would struggle with pride. And if someone came up to you and said, hey, good job, that was a nice sermon today, but um, let me, I would love to just walk with you and, and help you understand scriptures more clearly. The first reaction for many of us is what? I'm not good enough? But notice, Apollos learns. There's a humility in his posture. And the heart of a disciple is one who is, even if you're gifted, there's this humility that says, I don't know it all. There's more I can learn, more I can grow from. I remember when I uh, just graduated from uh, my undergrad and I moved to Southern California. I was working at a, a large church in Fullerton. Uh, Dale was working there. And I was on the youth staff. And it was such a large church that it was like one of those that, that the whole staff didn't even know who I was. And I worked there. I'd walk down the halls, and I'd be like, hey, youth guy, what's up? So my name was Youth Guy, and, uh, but worked there uh, for a few years. And not only was the youth staff in a separate part of the building, it wasn't even that. We were on the separate side of the street. The youth building wasn't even with the grown-ups which most of the time is a smart decision. But we were, our, our offices were over there. The youth rooms were over there. So it was really easy to be totally separated. And I had to make it a point, which I did, to go across the street and to go up in, into the upstairs offices. And once the reception, uh, receptionist would let me in, she's like, who are you? Why are you here? I'm like, I, I work here. I have a key. Um, once they would let me in, I intentionally sought out pastors who had been doing this Christian thing much longer than me. Because one thing I realized was here, why would I not learn and glean from this wisdom that's right here on the same campus that I am? And it was great to go and hang out with them, and they'd, uh, we'd go out to lunch. And the other thing is, when you're a youth guy and you go out with the, the, the grown-up pastors, they always pay for lunch. So that was the, that was the other strategy there, like impart wisdom to me, and can you buy me a burrito? So that was, that was part of discipleship. 
But that's all, that's the heart of a, a disciple. We have to go with a posture of humility. You have to go with a willingness to say, I don't have it all figured out. Because I got news for you. You don't have it all figured out. And there's someone else who's been there before you. I think of, uh, you know, my wife and I in a few years from now, hope, probably the way it is now, it's more like 15 years from now, we'll, we'll become empty nesters, uh, knowing how long people stay in the house. Or we'll become empty nesters, and then I think you refill the nest. Is that how it goes now for a little while? <laughs> But honestly, we have no idea what life will look like then. We're st- we we kind of have that raising kids part of life figured out, and we can encourage and challenge others, but we're going to get to a, f- a part of our lives where we're going to need someone to walk with us and say, hey, this is what it looks like to now invest in your marriage when you don't have kids as kind of the center of your world. This is what it looks like to, to think about what, it, you know, the, the third third of your life, and, and as you enter into that, we, don't, we haven't been there. But we're looking forward to others walking with us in that journey and learning. What does a life in Christ look like in that life stage? So, so in discipleship, there's always the disciple makers and the disciples. And we are all both of those things at all times. And it's a heart for one another and a posture of humility that allows us to grow. So that's what we see happening here with Apollos. Now let's go back to the text. We're now into chapter 19. And I want to show you a little bit more because discipleship continues to happen says this, now it happened that when Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples, and he said to them, Do you re- did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, on the contrary, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. If any of you want to know the the deep truth of what does that mean if there were 12 men, it means there were 12 men. Okay, so <laughs> I looked at every scholar is like, yeah, it, it means there was 12. <laughs> so there's just a fact in the story here. But what we have is this is another picture of discipleship going on. Now, Paul's in this area, and we find this group of people who believe they're, they're disciples, but again, their knowledge comes, falls short. And they said that they believed in the baptism of John. So Paul talks to him, and he baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's talk about that now. Let's kind of go deeper and double-click. What is it that was incomplete knowledge? What were they believing? And I believe that this can apply to us today. Now, I don't think there's people here in the church, probably, who are like, oh, I believe in the baptism of John. And, and I believe in the baptism of Jesus. That's not how we think or talk today. But there are areas of our lives where what we believe is not a full picture of the truth about Jesus. And so that's really at the core. But let's look at the difference. So John's baptism, what is John's baptism? This is John the Baptist, by the way, what they're referring to. And John the Baptist came as, a, as essentially a prophet in the Old Testament book, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. says, I will send a messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord, who's going to preach a repentance uh, of, uh, from sins and prepare the way for the Messiah. 
So John the Baptist comes on the scene in our New Testament, and he is this fulfillment. He's a messenger who's teaching about the Messiah will soon come. And he even says, I'm unfit to even, or I'm unfit to untie the sandals of the Messiah. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So there was a difference. Now, John's baptism, if you were baptized, if you claimed this in their time, what were they believing? Was one, the repentance of sins. So John preached to turn from your sins, which is a good thing. Would you agree? Uh, that's, there's nothing wrong with that truth of, hey, turn from your sins. There, there's things in our lives that fall short of, of the life that God has for us. So he preached, repent and turn from your sins. And the other thing he preached was an anticipation that there was a Messiah, this Jewish, this belief that God would send his son who would once and for all take care of the sins of the world and bring us new life. So John's baptism was repent from your sins, so turn from your sin, and, and anticipate and believe the, the Messiah is coming. So then in contrast to that, what do we mean then when Paul says, I need to baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus, or this baptism of the Spirit? Because this is how it's worded often in the book of Acts, is a baptized into the Spirit. Now, I just want to make a quick note. At the end of this passage, they were baptized in the Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. These are called uh, supernatural, or sometimes we call them charismatic gifts of the Spirit. And they happen in the book of Acts in a couple places. And uh, Paul speaks about them to the church in Corinth. So they happened in the early, uh, early church. We see it often. There's a question about it is, is when the Holy Spirit empowered them, all of a sudden they can speak in other languages. That's pretty crazy. Now, does the Holy Spirit still do that to this day? And uh, our position is that uh, God may work that way, but there is a way in which he does it that would make sense. <laughs> if we were to do it biblically, it would make sense. But let me tell you this. There is a teaching where some people would say, if you have not received this power to speak in tongues, which I have not, <laughs> then someone would say, well, you never received the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that is not biblical. That is not true. That's, that you can't uh, argue that through Scripture. So when you say baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's a whole lot more going on than just in these occasions where you see these supernatural gifts played out. So what does it really mean? I want to just give you three ideas. Here's one. Baptism into the Spirit is it's not just a new behavior, but it's a whole new identity. See, John was preaching a new behavior. Repent. Turn from your sins. Act differently. Get right with God. And, th and that's good to repent. It's good. If you have sin in your life, it is a good thing to want to turn from your sin. Amen? It's a good thing for your spouse to want to turn from her sin. No. It's a, it's a good thing. But the baptism into the Spirit is not just new behavior, but it's a new identity. In, in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, Yet for all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we find ourselves baptized into Jesus in, with the Holy Spirit in us. Now we have a new identity. You are children of God. It's a new identity. That's who you are. Now, when I think of my kids, 
regardless of how they behave, they are my children. There are times I tell them they're not, (laughs) but it doesn't change the reality that they are. That's what it means. In Christ, you are a child of God, and your behavior doesn't change that truth. Amen? That's a good thing. If our status in the kingdom of God changed based on how we act and behave each day, we'd be in and out quite often, would we not? Not in and out burgers. We'd be in and out of the kingdom quite often. But you're a child of God. Uh, Just this last summer, I was convinced by the rest of my family to add a new family member to our house. So we have a new child, and here's our new uh, child who's living in our house. We have a picture of him. Yes, we have a fur baby. (laughs) So this is our new child, and yes, look at those eyes. If golden retrievers did not have those eyes, no one would keep them when they are this age. (laughs) But so this is our new child, and um, what's happening in this picture is we're having a conversation about proper behavior in the house. (laughs) And it has something to do with we don't eat shoes. But uh, I'm not so, I don't know what he was listening to or what he was hearing. (laughs) But I look at this, and I think, this is, now, he's part of our family. And we have just a few rules. We don't want you to bark unnecessarily. We don't want you to pee in the house and don't eat shoes, okay? And, and don't eat my food. Eat your food, not mine. Those are basically the, the basic rules. And he's mostly good with that. He's got most of those figured out. Not the shoe thing yet, but uh, everything else he's kind of got. He's a part of the family now. That's his status. That's who he is. And the days I come downstairs and it looks something like this, he's still a part of the family. He's been adopted in. Now he belongs. He has a new identity. And we have a 12-year-old Golden who keeps teaching him the right way, but even if he doesn't get it, he's a part of the family. This is us in the eyes of God. Probably not as cute, but this is is who we are. There are days when we're sitting there with the shoe in our mouth about to chew it up. And our God looks at us and says, you're adopted into the family. What you're about to do isn't going to change who you are. So that's the first thing. Not just a new behavior, but a new identity. Yeah, we have to take that picture down, otherwise you won't listen to another thing I say. Well, you just <laughs> What's the next thing? Uh, baptism into the Spirit, into Jesus, we have a new reality. What do I mean by that? The new reality is this. Uh, John, again, writes this in chapter 1, verse 16. It says, Out of his fullness we have received grace, in place of gra- the grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God and his his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So we have this new reality that we have this closeness with God the Father, that we can actually know God. And notice this, out of Jesus comes grace and truth. So the new reality that we have in Christ is we are able to live in this world filled with grace and with truth. Last week, we talked about it a little bit. We talked about having a firm center, the truth, but soft edges filled with grace. 
So this new identity, this new reality we have uh, changes the way we even are able to interact in our marriages. It changes the way we interact with our kids. It changes the way we respond to our politicians if they ever make decisions you disagree with. It changes how we interact with our friends and our neighbors. So we have this new reality that we have seen God that we have closeness with God, that now we can live, his identity is lived through us, and we can be people of grace and truth. We don't have to fight to always be right, to be on top, to be the best, because we're secure in who we are, and we can live our lives now with this grace and truth that comes from Jesus. The third thing on this and there's many, to being baptized in the Spirit, but the other one I'm going to look at. is So we have a new identity, you have a new reality that informs everything, and then one, third, you have a new power. Look at John 15, verse 5 and following, says this. I am the vine, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, walking and living as a Christian It's a tough thing to do. Who can do that? Who can live up to that? If all we're trying to do is follow the example of Jesus and do everything he would do, which is not a bad thing to try. In fact, that's a great, if you want one example to follow in the world, follow Jesus' example. In fact, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a good thing, but it's tough. Because guess what? You're not always going to get it. We're going to get tired we're going to fail. We're going to feel shame for falling short. Or you're going to get arrogant and prideful because you got it figured out and everyone else at Seacoast is behind you. <laughs> but the truth is, apart from Christ in us, we can do nothing. We can fake it for a while, but without the power of Jesus in us and surrendering to his life in us, we can do nothing. But here's the good news. You don't have to do anything because the power of the Spirit is in you. You have Jesus. So you have all you need to live this new life, this new identity. You have all you need to walk in forgiveness with others. You have all you need to walk in grace with others. You have all you need to drive patiently on our freeways. You have it in you. Because with Christ in you, you you are being transformed and changed into something new. And if we were left to our own power and our own wisdom to be examples of Christ all the time, what example would people see? But we have a new power. And so the goal of discipleship as we're growing and changing is learning how to more and more have surrender, less of you, more of Christ. What does it look like to trust in that power and to trust in the goodness of Jesus? And when you fail, which you will, what does it look like to fall on God's grace and be grateful for his goodness? As we come to the end of our time here, I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. When we think of the process of discipleship, really today, this is all that journey of transformation is what we've been reading about and looking at. Looking at what it looks like to be people who are being changed and transformed. I love the uh, 
former pastor and author Eugene Peterson, he called it a slow obedience in the same direction. He talked about the life of, of Christ. Was, it's not about just one big moment where you're kind of on the top of the world, but it is a life of slow obedience in the same direction, of learning to sur- surrender to the Spirit day after day after day. And you know what? For most of us, it's going to be almost as mundane as this story. Do you notice in the story there was nothing all that? It was just kind of, hey, we didn't quite fully understand, and now we know more about Jesus. It's like a normal thing happened to them. For most of us, life is pretty normal. I love the way Oswald Chambers, when he's talking about discipleship, he says this. The show business, which is so incorporated into our view of Christian work today, has caused us to drift far from our Lord's conception of discipleship. It's instilled in us to think that we have to do exceptional things for God. We have not. We have to be exceptional in ordinary things, to be holy in the mean streets, among mean people, surrounded by sordid sinners. It's not learned in five minutes. This is a life of walking and surrendering to the Spirit time and time again. And we're not trying to do exceptional things. We're trying to have the exceptional truth of God lived out in us in the everyday things. So as we end our time, I I want to invite you, would you stand with uh, me? And we're going to sing one final song, and the song is one that often we'll sing at the beginning of a service. And it's an invitation in the song to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Let me just tell you, theologically, we believe the Holy Spirit is here. If you are in Christ, the Spirit is in you. You don't have to invite Him in if He's already in you. With me on that? But are we open to receiving? The song is about saying, Holy Spirit, we receive, we welcome you in. Our hearts are saying less of us and more of you. Because ultimately, we want to be a community of people who don't just know the right things, but we are growing in all of the things of the way of Christ. Through the power of God in us. So, I believe that this is the power that's going to make us the kind of community that our city needs. Because our city, our state, our country needs people who are living in the power of the real Jesus. That's what they need. So let's surrender to be transformed by the Spirit in us. Let's know that we're all on the process. We're all on a journey. But God's working in us today in this place. So let me pray for you, God. We thank you for this time and pray now that even as we turn our hearts to you in one final song, God, it's an invitation. It's our way of saying, Lord, we need you. Because by the end of today, we're all going to have a sin and mess up in some way. So we need you. We need your spirit. We need your grace. We need your presence. And we invite you to shape and change and transform us into your likeness. So receive our prayer now. In Jesus' name.